What does it mean to have a heart of gratitude? How can we show gratitude when we're going through trials? In this series, we'll discover what the Bible says about it and how we can have gratitude in all circumstances. For more information, visit us online at lifepointpeople.com. Oh, good morning, good morning. It is good to be back. It is wonderful to be back. I am grateful to be back. And uh, woo! Um, a little worried that I would forget how to do it. It's been four weeks off. I haven't taken four weeks off in seven years. And so uh, first service was rough. I'll be honest, at points I forgot the English language. I just began to speak in Spanish. And muy uh, espanol for my Spanish-speaking listeners here this morning. Uh, I, I am thrilled to be here. We're starting the series, Gratitude. And if you were here last Sunday, maybe you heard me talk briefly about what it was inspired out of. It was inspired out of preparing to go on a two-week uh, vacation, which I'd never done, and just really a, a stressful last couple of years here. And, and God has been good, but just looking to have a giant exhale. And then uh, a bunch of stress came. And then I get up there, and then there's no fish. And then they shut the mountain down for mountain biking, and I was just really having an awesome pity party, party of one. And uh, then all of a sudden, God just said, what do you possibly have to be ungrateful for? And so this is third day into the, uh, our vacation, and then the word gratitude just came to me, and I, I couldn't escape it, and I just began to have joy, and I enjoyed the rest of the time there. And at one point, we had my brother and his wife and their four kids me, my wife, and our four kids, and my parents all in this tiny little lake house up in Pine Top. And it was a good thing he taught me gratitude before those three or four days that they were up there. Uh, but we had, a, we had a lot of fun. And so that's what this series is. It's called Gratitude. Um, our bulb went out this morning, right? And then tech was having tons of problems, so that's why you see one screen, which means there's probably really, really good message this morning uh, whenever everything just seems to go wrong. Um, so what does it mean to be grateful? We're going to talk about that over the course of this series, but today, right now, I want you to turn to somebody, and I want you to tell them something you're grateful for. And here's the deal, husbands, it can't be your wife. I know, it's an easy cop-out. You just look at her and go, I'm grateful for you. Pick something else. Be original for a change here, and schmooze on her later, okay? So Go. Go ahead, turn to somebody. I know it's awkward. I don't care. Just do it. It's, I know it's awkward. Like Matt Feeney's beard. Oh. There we go. Do they do good? Heather. Heather, how'd Jordan do? Did he do good? Okay. You know, we as Americans do not practice enough the art of being grateful. We don't practice enough taking the time to tell somebody what we're grateful for. We definitely don't take the time to tell God what we're grateful for. And so in this series, I really want to talk about what it means to have a heart of gratitude uh, I'll tell you what I'm grateful for. While I was singing that last song there, I closed my eyes and I started clapping. When I opened them, I was still in sync with Naomi. And I can tell you for a white boy, you, know, you don't know how many times I'm clapping and then when I open them, you're like, 
right? You do that sort of like in-between clap, like you meant to be where you were at and leading everybody else a quarter note off or whatever. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm ready to play the drums, Stacy, wherever you are. It's there. God has blessed me with the gift of rhythm. <laughs> There's a theme in Scripture that appears all throughout Paul's letters to the churches. And I think this is purposeful. So let's look at some of them. Uh, Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There it is. How many people here, and you can raise your hands, this is interactive morning, how many people here have ever asked to know God's will for your life? Right? Have you ever prayed and said, Lord, I've got this situation and this situation. Which one am I supposed to do? Have you ever done that? What is your will, Lord? Am I supposed to move? Am I supposed to marry this scumbag? Am I supposed to have another child? In this church, the answer has obviously been yes. Like, goodness. (laughs) Our children are going to outnumber us soon. (laughs) Amen. And we always want to know, Lord, what's your will? And I've told the story here about sitting down with two college pamphlets and agonizing all day and praying and being uber spiritual. And I had my Bible out and literally all day, which one am I supposed to go to? And I didn't hear an answer from the Lord. And my dad gets home from work that night. I'm like, Dad, Dad, I've just been struggling. And I show him my journal and I'm trying to show him how spiritual I am. And I'm like, which one is God's will? And he goes, you idiot. God doesn't care. He may not have said idiot, but I just, that's how I remember it. God doesn't care what college you go to. And he said, look, goes to his Bible, opens it up to 1 Thessalonians, and he says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks. This is the will of the Lord. So whatever college you go to, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks. Wait, that's it? So God doesn't actually care where I go to college or what house I buy or even who I marry? Pray always, pray continually, rejoice always, give thanks, right? So here's the deal. If that is God's will for my life, how do I do it? How do I show gratitude constantly in my life? Well, Paul writes to Ephesians in Ephesians 5.19, the church in Ephesus, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of God of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that theme again. Give thanks. Make music with my heart. So worship the Lord. I'm to bring myself before a posture of worship to the Lord. And it's more than just music, and we're going to find out here today, this morning, what it, how we bring thanks, how we show gratitude to the Lord. And then lastly, to the church in Colossae, I believe that's how you say it, the Colossians, three, Colossians 3, verse 15 Be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. From the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there is a common theme to all of these churches that Paul is writing to. And the theme is this, no matter what you do, where you're at, or who you're with, give thanks. Have gratitude. Church, this morning, when you woke up, did you give thanks to the Lord? 
for waking you up this morning. Heck no. Morning people are weird and I don't understand you. But think about it for the 99% of the rest of us. If you were to wake up in the morning and just begin to give thanks to the Lord, try it. I did. It's awful. It's still awful. Waking up still is terrible if you're not a morning person. But begin to give thanks to the Lord. Begin to thank him for the blessings you have. Whatever God has given you, begin to start your day just giving thanks and see what position it puts your heart in. Because if God has called his sons and daughters to be people who give thanks and rejoice always, then are we doing that? Take a little self-examination of yourself. Are you rejoicing and giving thanks continually? Did you skip through the doors this morning? Feeney, I found you, by the way. Nah, he moved. Did you skip? Did you find joy as you came to church? Were you late? Did you find joy in all things that led up to your time here as you begin to worship the Lord? Because if not, you have to ask yourself, why not? What kept me from joy? What robbed my joy? Why am I not giving thanks? And so this morning, I want to take Billy's message last week, which was on trouble, that trouble's going to come for all of us and our prayers should not be, Lord, get me out of trouble, but get me through the trouble, right? Really cool that Billy talked on that and that what the Lord was showing me was gratitude. I had no idea. In fact, we asked multiple times for his notes to which he never sent them. So we found out what he was preaching on when you found out what he was preaching on last week. And sometimes that's just how pastors are, but God has grace. So gratitude flows from God's presence. And my first thought, my first note point this week is more gratitude will not come from acquiring more things. Rather, more gratitude will come from an increased presence of God in your life. So what does that mean? That's like a pastoral thing to say. What does that mean, though, practically? What does it mean to have an increased presence of God in your life? Well, when you were eating Cheerios this morning, were you eating them with God? When you were brushing your teeth, were you doing it knowing the Lord had given you the ability to do it? When you were picking up that third spilled cup of juice, before 9 a.m., were you grateful the Lord gave you the ability and the children to spill the juice and the sanity to not strangle them? Were you grateful? Are you in his presence? When you got into a car that had gas in it and that turned over the first or eighth time, were you grateful for it? You see, there's numerous things throughout our day in which we can rem be reminded of the presence of God in our lives, but are we aware of them? Do we allow ourselves to be in a position where the presence of God is in a place in our lives where we're actually aware of it? Because that's how we get to a heart of gratitude. That's how we get to a place of recognizing God in every circumstance, good or bad, in our life. And this kind of gratitude starts with a new worldview. I had mentioned a few months back this idea of what your perception of the good is. Because you cannot have gratitude if you do not perceive God as the ultimate good. Hear me on that. I know you may have said a prayer. I know you may think of him as the all-knowing creator. But unless you view him in your life as the ultimate good, as the number one thing to which you should fill your life with his knowledge, you should pursue the knowledge of him, an understanding of him, 
then gratitude for him and gratitude because of how he sustains you will be impossible. You will always try to be manufacturing it. But if he is the good in your life, if he is the means to an end, if, if, if everything that you learn about God and begin to know about God is your heart's goal, then gratitude will come as a byproduct, like watering a flower and a, like watering a, a seed and a flower growing as a byproduct. Thankfulness and gratitude will be a byproduct, but you have to change your worldview. You have to change your worldview to a place where the good is God. Because you can't manufacture gratitude. You can't just have enough willpower and be super gracious. It doesn't work. So there's three bennies, and the Latin word for good is benny, and there's three of them. And the first one is this. It's a bene or bene fit. For something to be seen, for you to have, for something for you to have gratitude towards it, it has to be a benefit to you, right? So you have to receive a gift, and it has to be seen as a good thing to receive. Let me give you an example. If someone gave you land, and the land had been leached by a nearby oil company underneath, so it was no good for growing crops, it was full of rocks and, and stuff that was no good for building on, and let's just say the land had uh, half a million dollars in debt on it and back taxes that you were now responsible for, is that a good gift you just received? Is that something good? So it was a gift, and you could have gratitude for it, but it's not going to be perceived as something that's good for you. Lastly, in order to have gratitude and see it as a benefit, you have to find it favorable. If I, sir, gave you a small pink dress with, with purple frillies around it, would you see that as a good gift that you would have gratitude for? I hope not. I certainly Hope not. You see, in order for it to benefit you, it has to be something that you recognize as favorable and that you wish to receive. Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, and who satisfies your desires with good things. Those sound like benefits. Right? Like when you come to work here, your benefits are you get to work for me. Um, and it pretty much ends there. Like we don't have a lot of benefits working at the church. But the benefits of knowing the Lord, according to the psalmist, are he redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires, not my needs. You get that? Isn't that cool? He looks after our needs, but the psalmist says he satisfies my desires with good things. He forgives my sins. He heals diseases. These are benefits that are favorable and wanted by all of us. So the first thing is, in order for gratitude to be there, it has to benefit you. Secondly, the second factor of gratitude is there must be a benefactor. Benefactor is to, to will the good... The word factor is our word. We get our word factory. So benefactor is the one who does the good. So in order to be grateful, good stuff happening to us cannot just be chance. It cannot just be the cosmos. It cannot be random. In order to have true gratitude, there must be one for whom you have gratitude for, which means there was intention on the gift given to you. And then I am therefore grateful for it. 
James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. It's an expression of his goodness. A good God exists, and he is always giving to us. So if I'm going to be grateful and have a heart of gratitude, the gift must benefit me. There must be one who gives the gift for which I can pour my, my gratitude upon. And then lastly, there must be a bene beneficiary, and that's you and I. We're the beneficiary of God's good gifts. We're the ones who get to receive it. We're the ones who get to enjoy the gifts of the Lord poured out upon our lives. And so for there to be gratitude, all these must be there. But in order to be a beneficiary who has gratitude, you must understand you did not deserve the gift. Do you know that on your birthday you don't deserve gifts? I know, American. But we are of this mindset that it is my birthday and I better get Facebook likes or, or comments and I better get gifts from at least three or four people who really know me. And if you're really close to me, it better be over $50. If you're really close to me, it better be over $500. But the point is, there is this entitlement in our culture. There is an entitlement to everything, to healthcare, to a house, to name brand clothes, to three meals a day, and most of them should have meat in them. We have such an entitled attitude that it's difficult to be grateful for anything. Well, why would I be grateful for clothes? You all have them. And when you live in a culture where every basic need is met and then every desire is met, it creates human beings which struggle to be grateful, even though we know the Creator, even though we understand that His gifts benefit us. Because at some point in our soul, we kind of feel we deserve it. I'm a good person. I mean, I certainly don't deserve to have God take away my house. I haven't killed anybody, I don't think. I certainly don't believe I deserve to have God leave me go hungry. I certainly don't believe God would allow me to get sick. You see, we have such a sense of entitlement that it is near impossible to be grateful beneficiaries of God's good gifts. So let's change it, right? Would you want to change that? Don't you want to stand out from that? Don't you want to say, no, not me. I want to be grateful. I want to recognize God's gifts in everything. I don't want to look at my health anymore and take it for granted. I don't want to look at my spouse <coughs> and take them for granted, my children, my work, my little paycheck sometimes. I don't want to take it for granted. Because once I'm in that place, second point is gratitude grows in humility. Gratitude is the good earth and the watering and all the vitamins needed for, uh, I mean, humility is all the vitamins and good earth and water needed for gratitude to grow in our hearts. I was just talking with Pastor Blake about that this weekend. We were talking about our kids, and there's two mindsets you really could have grown up with. You could have grown up with the poverty mentality, which is sort of what I grew up with. We were lower to middle class, 
growing up, and it was a big deal if, if mom and dad took me and my brother out to Taco Bell. You, who remembers 39, 49, 59 cent stuff at Taco Bell? Yeah, they're my people. Like, this was a big deal. And we were allowed two items off the 49 or 59 cent menu because things were going well. But you, you drink water, right? Because things aren't going that well. And so if dad ever said that we got a soda with our meal, then we knew it was a good month. It, like, dad was doing good. And heaven, heaven was really smiling down on us if we got to go to Thrifty Ice Cream afterwards. I mean, we're rolling in the money at that point. So... This is sort of just how it was. I remember my dad telling a story that when he and my mom first got married, they found change in the bottom of their Astro van and had just enough to go to Thrifty Ice Cream to get an ice cream. Like, this is just the mentality we grew up with up until a few years ago when my dad finally learned that you are allowed to throw things away in the big black trash bins in the alley, that uh, he had a shed just full of stuff that was old and not going to be used. A lot of it was just broken. And it's because his dad grew up in the Depression. There was this poverty mentality on him that just says, I have to hoard everything because one day I might need a phone with a cord on it, you know? Like there's just this idea that nothing is bad and I'll keep it all. So I grew up in that and I wanted to give my kids more. I wanted to have more. I worked hard. I wanted to have nice things, yada, yada, yada. And so now I've got a seven-year-old son who is a completely entitled little snot sometimes. God love him. Everywhere we go, Dad, can I have this? Dad, I want this. Dad, I want that. Dad, I want that. So I got so sick of it here, about a month ago, I said, son, every time you ask me for something while we're out, the answer is no. So I want you to look at yourself, and I want you to say no right after you ask me. And so he forgets, and we're out. And he's like, hey, Dad, can I get a soda with this meal? And I just look at him, he goes, no, Judah, you can't have a soda with this meal. And so he's gotten used to doing that. So my wife went out last night and left me with the four children before dinner time. And so everything was going well until like 4.45, 5 o'clock struck, and then it all hell broke loose. It was a nightmare. And so I didn't know what to do. I was crying in the fetal position, and then all of a sudden... They're like, you could just take us to Firehouse Subs. And I'm like, yes, good idea from the mouths of babes. And so I get them all dressed up and just throw them in the trunk of my car. And we drive to Firehouse Subs. They're safe. They're fine. It's a nice car. And so we get there. And Judah, we walk up. And he goes, Dad, can I have a so? And I just look. And he stops. He's like, I didn't say it. I didn't say it. And I was like, water for you. And he's like, no. I stopped myself. Entitled little brat. <laughs> it's working though. It's working. And so where do we where do we live if there's somewhere between poverty mentality and an entitled mentality? And it's called a grateful mentality. And as Blake and I were talking, we said, I told him, I said, one of the things that's really helped me is uh, tithing. Is tithing. About two years ago, we, you know, I've, t- I've talked about the neighborhood we moved into. It's a great neighborhood, cul-de-sac. And I remember stepping out after Christmas, and every kid in the neighborhood has a new motorized toy. Every single one of them, right? And our kid's out there with a can and a stick, and he's just rolling it down the street. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you just look around, and then the part, I could really care less about that, but then all the garages open up, and every guy has a razor or a jacked-up golf cart or a boat or quads. And now I'm like... Oh, man. And I just look at my wife, and I'm like, you know, if we just stopped tithing, I could afford any one of those things. 
and she just looked at me. You know, men, how your wife looks at you sometimes? And I'm like, we don't have to tell anybody about it. I'm just kidding. It was an incredible reminder. And she looks at me, and she is my conscience, and she says, where is your heart at? I know my heart's with the Lord. But tithing has always, as long as we have been doing it as a married couple, been a reminder for me and a balancing act to stay here. To say, Lord, I am grateful for you. I am grateful for your steward, for allowing me stewardship of everything you've given me. And how we do our tithe, we do one check at the beginning of the month for our 10% or whatever percentage we're doing. And then every week, whenever the tithe is passed, that's an opportunity for me. You'll usually see me with my head bowed to just stop and say, Lord, forgive me for the times I was ungrateful this week. Help me be better. Help me be more grateful in the coming week. And so when we say that tithe is part of our worship here, that's not just a slogan. That is as true as singing a song, clapping my hands in tune, is to sit and tithe because it's a time I worship and I remind, the Lord reminds me, what are you worshiping? Are you worshiping the things of the world or are you going to be grateful for what you have? Our culture is so entitled. I got a few examples here. The San Francisco Giants were sued a few years ago for passing out Father's Day gifts to men only. A psychology professor was sued for sexual harassment because of the presence of a mistletoe at a Christmas party. My personal favorite, a psychic was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired her psychic abilities. True story. Leaves you wondering this question, though. If she was really psychic, shouldn't she, shouldn't she have seen a different doctor? I don't know. The court felt that it would be best to award her a million dollars. You see, in the Christian framework, ingratitude isn't just ingratitude. It's actually a sin. Paul talks about it. He says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. And so their thinking became futile. Their thinking became futile. They perceived themselves as entitled and owed by God. And so God said, Fine. Your thinking will become futile. When you look at the leaders of our country and countries around the world, do you see leaders with wisdom or with futile thinking? Unfortunately, I see a lot of leaders with futile thinking. I see very few leaders with grace and humility standing at the pulpit. I see very few leaders with a posture of gratitude, thankfulness, hard work and joy in their hearts. Instead, I see this pompous, futile attempt to get as many of the masses gathered around them. Do you see that too? Or am I the only one? I feel as though because we have neither glorified him or given thanks to him, he's allowed our thinking to become futile. And it's just most glaring in the public eye, and because it's an election year, we see it. But the Bible's word for ingratitude is grumbling. Do you know that? Whenever you see that they were grumbling amongst one another, it means they were ungrateful and not giving thanks. And so when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he writes to them and he reminds them, Israel grumbled at Mount Sinai. 
Even though God freed them from slavery, took care of all of their needs, allowed them to cross the Jordan, brought them to the promised land, what do they do? They grumble, grumble, grumble. And so he tells them to the church at Corinth, do not grumble as they did, for they were killed by the destroying angel. <laughs> the destroying angel. I, I have a special guest here this morning. I invited the destroying angel here. And if you grumbled at all this weekend, he'd like to talk with you. <laughs> the destroying angel. Here's the deal. Gratitude, third point, last point, leads to a life of blessing. Gratitude leads you to a life of blessing. It leads you to the ability to do what Pastor Billy talked about last week, which is trust God and have joy in the midst of your your strife, your struggle, suffering, all of that. So how do I do it? Let's get down to the practical. You will leave here today happier than when you came. So help me. (laughs) Jesus knew what it was like to live in gratitude. His way of life teaches us how to run this great experiment called love. Every devout Jewish person who was devoted to the Lord had two daily forms of prayer. One was called the Shema, and here we see it in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, because he is our great benefactor. He is the giver of the gifts. They would pray that every single day. Every single day. The second, often called the 18, or in its complete form, the 18 benedictions. Again, if you break benediction up, bene is good, diction is word, good words. Good words in Hebrew, another way of saying that would be to use the word bless, to speak blessings. So to bless is to speak good to somebody else, and so they always wanted to speak good, so they would constantly bless the Lord, right? Bless you, O Lord. That's, That's a benediction, that's to speak good to. And so they would... Have these simple phrases, blessed are you, O God, in the middle of the day. They would do it in the morning. They would do it at nighttime before bed. And here's the problem. Christianity has wanted to move so far away from legalism that we're like, we don't need to say those prayers anymore. We, we don't need to do that. I don't need to do some rote prayer. And you're right. You don't need to do that. But there is a purpose behind what they were doing here. And even what happened to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Christ's time is it had become a legal thing for them to do. It stopped being something they were doing out of hearts of gratitude. So please, don't ever do anything. Don't ever pray. Don't ever come before the Lord because you feel like it's the right thing to do. Come before the Lord and ask for a heart of humility. Beg him. There will be times you don't want to pray and just say, Lord, I don't want to talk to you. Be honest with him. Come to the Lord and tell him you're angry. Yell at him. Shout at him. But don't come in this false posture of, well, it's noon. I better sit down and do my prayers. Bless you, O Lord, as you have an angry heart. He says, don't. Get that away from me. Get your false sacrifice, your false worship away from me. Be honest with me. That's why I love David. That's why David's a man after God's own heart, even though he's kind of a jerk. Because in his psalms, he cries out and he yells at God. But during that time, the Lord deals with his heart. And at the end of the psalm, you always see him come back to say, bless you, O Lord. Bless your name, O Lord. So they would do it in the morning, the afternoon, 
in the evening. And as the disciples would follow their different rabbis, each one, they would learn uh, different ways. Blessed are you, O Lord, who heals the sick, because they remember, I have a body, it gets sick. One day, I won't have a body, I'll be a spirit. And Lord, blessed are you who forgives sin. They were training themselves for gratitude. They were training themselves for gratitude because they knew their benefactor was God. Not life, not chance, not skill, not talent, not position, not culture, but God. Do you know that this morning? Is he your benefactor this morning? These benedictions were also called the Amida, which means standing, because they were to be standing up while they prayed. If you pray while you're sitting down, you might fall asleep, so they stand up. Anybody here ever crawl into bed and start praying? And you get like three sentences in, and then you wake up, and it's like morning time, and you're like, amen. (laughs) That was awesome prayer time, Lord. Thank you. Like, do not lay down and start praying. Like, Fine, pray when you lay down, but don't let that be your main prayer time for the night. You know how terrible that is? You're like trying to think of stuff, and your bed's just so comfy, so you sort of roll over while you do it, and you're like, you understand, right, Lord? (laughs) The other thing, they discussed the best way that they would say the 18 or the Shema. Never say the 18 when you're on a donkey. I think that's still good advice for today. (laughs) Being high could make you feel proud or self-sufficient. It's humbling to come down, to be down on the earth when you thank God. So, when saying your benedictions, don't say them on a donkey, guys. Good. I'm glad we cleared the air on that. I didn't want anyone going home and being confused. They would regularly gather at the temple to say the 18. We see that in Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. That's the time when they would gather to pray the 18. And so, when they come before the Lord and they ask the Lord, Rabbi, how then should we pray? They were not asking him something random. They were asking him, every disciple would have asked the rabbi, how are we supposed to pray? And what does Jesus say? Do not give long prayers as those around you. Instead, he sums up the 18. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That is the 18. That is the sum of the blessings, the benedictions. What he's saying is when you come before the Lord, come in a posture of gratitude, a posture of humility, and here's how you should pray. And so that was their rabbi's answer to that. In fact, it was so important that every meal was an occasion to express gratitude. Food was not eaten until people expressed their gratitude for the Lord, to the Lord for it. Can you remember the last time you prayed to the Lord in public at a restaurant? If you do, awesome. Don't do it as a show. For a long time, for about eight years, I stopped doing it because I just didn't like the show of it. I didn't want to be doing it because of a show. And then the Lord got to my heart about, well, why are you doing it? Were you doing it to make a show? Because you see, people prayed to me before their meal because they were grateful they got to eat that meal. See, our problem is we're like, I'll have another one in in 30 minutes. (laughs) I'll have another one in two hours. And so we lose the gratefulness for the meal that we're about to eat. In fact, it was such a big deal that if you forgot to pray before a meal, the rabbis would tell you to go back to the place you just ate it, pray there before the food has been fully digested, that you may have gratitude for the meal that you just ate. It was a big deal. So if you didn't pray for your breakfast this morning, 
I'd like you to just go ahead and get up, head back to the place, and then come on back, and we'll continue the sermon. I'll wait for you. (laughs) Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is a gift. Everything is a gift from the Lord. So is your heart in a posture to receive it? Is your life in a place to receive it? I want to invite the ushers forward as we receive communion and as we close with this worship of the Lord. Talking with a friend after first service, he said, do you know that the Eucharist, the meaning of it is thank you. The Eucharist is uh, how Catholics view taking communion. It's the, the body and the blood of Christ and the bread and the wine. You can begin to pass it up. If you have a relationship with Christ, take the cup and the, uh, the bread. They're stacked on top of each other and then just hang on to it. We'll partake together in a moment here. But there is a gratitude and a gratefulness for what God has done. And communion is meant to be that time, that time of worship, that time of thankfulness to the Lord. You see, when Christ gave the disciples that that call to do this in remembrance of him whenever they gather together, it was that whenever we gather together, we would remember to be thankful for all the things the Lord has done in our life, has done, is doing in our life currently, and will do in the future. Want to know what's really cool about communion? The scriptures tell us of the disciples who are walking along the road after Christ's crucifixion. And Christ comes up to them. You remember this story? And he begins to talk to them, and they don't recognize him. And then he begins to speak in such a way of the Old Testament characters and the stories of Scripture that the Scripture tells us that there becomes a burning in their heart. They're like, who is this guy? And so they invite him back to have dinner with them. And they still don't recognize this is Jesus Christ. Until when? Until he breaks the bread. So he breaks the bread with them. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open. And they think to themselves, how how were we so blind? How did we miss him? We've been walking with him this entire time, and we missed it. Friends, communion is an act of worship for those who have said, Lord, you are Savior of my life. It's a time of gratitude where we as beneficiaries of the gifts of our benefactor, Jesus Christ, humble our hearts to receive him. That this week we would receive his gifts again. That this week we would posture ourselves in a place where we're more thankful this week than we were in the previous. Where we can take a look at where our hearts were and where our grumblings were this week and we can say, Lord, wipe that out, help me. Help me be better. It is our ultimate act of worship as a church that when we gather together, we could remember together the gifts of our Lord. And so as Jesus did in the upper room or as he did with the disciples after his crucifixion, he grabbed the bread and he broke it. And he reminded them to eat, for this is his body, broken for us.
Let's eat together. And then he took the cup. He told him, this is my blood. Poured out for you. What must have been that been like for those disciples? They remembered him in the upper room, not fully understanding. And then they watched him beaten and abused. They saw him hanging on the cross with the blood pouring down his side. And so what must have it been like to sit with the resurrected Christ in that moment when he said, this is my blood that was poured out for you. Not as going to be, but was. Take a drink and see that it is good. Father God, as we remember you in this moment, would you give men and women in this room hearts of gratitude? Lord, make us a grateful people. Forgive us where we have been arrogant and entitled children, Lord. Pray that yourself. If that's your prayer, don't just let my words be it. You pray it out. Father, forgive me where I've been arrogant. Forgive me where entitlement has crept in where there should have been thanksgiving. Forgive me where I have taken for granted the gifts you have so easily bestowed upon my life. Forgive me for the grumblings of my heart, Lord. Forgive me for a judgmental spirit, Lord. Open my eyes to righteousness, Father. Teach me a heart of gratitude. Bless your name, O my soul. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Amen.